Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Irish Illustrated Insider Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, Pete Sampson talking Notre Dame football here on Monday, April 19th. And of course, remembering our dear friend and associate in the business, Lou Samoji. Uh, I go way back with Lou. Uh, for those that haven't heard, and I think everybody in the sporting world, the Notre Dame football world, heard about his unfortunate passing on Saturday. And we, of course, will reflect on the greatness and the uniqueness of Mr. Lou Samoji. But um, starting with Notre Dame football today, 10 practices in the book as of Saturday, the two-thirds mark. And surprise, surprise, we're still talking offensive line because it was a, a heavy topic of conversation with Brian Kelly on Saturday following practice. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot there. I mean, I, I think that it was like follow-up after follow-up after follow-up. Like I, I basically was at the end and had to ask him to repeat something he already said just because I was like, are you sure? You're like you're saying Jared <laughs> Patterson could play guard. Could you say that one more time? So I'm not misinterpreting it. Um, yeah, I, I think that they have more, probably more questions today than they had when they started because Fisher and Spindler have impressed so much. Um, but Brian Kelly also said, I thought pretty clearly like, all right, let's get to the answer phase of spring practice. Um, we got to get something done in the last five where we can't go into summer where we are today. I, I wonder if they can do that because I thought Josh Lug made a great point when he said, and this is obviously coming from his position coach, the spring is not about winning the starting job or cementing all our starting jobs. It's about getting everybody out there and getting as many reps as possible. As long as the coaches think to themselves, all right, we have two candidates here one, 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 and two candidates here or something like that. I feel like that's solidified. And then you can figure it out in the summer in camp. Cause like, as Chip Long mentioned, like Hainsey made me play him. He wasn't going to play at the end of the spring. There's, there's always a guy you could have a great summer and think that there's nothing wrong with having a great summer and ascending into to a new position. Yeah. I think I, I agree more with you, Tim, than I do Pete in that. I mean, I do think that there are more answers because whereas John Dirksen was getting first team reps at right guard when, practice started right Tim and I think that's kind of what you're saying I mean yeah yeah I, I I think that we're I, I think that they're moving past that notion a bit uh Andrew Christophic has played a couple different positions center I don't really think that he's in a position to to compete for the starting job and, and Michael Carmody's just a redshirt freshman so I hear what you're saying uh, because there's still so many specifics to still be determined about the offensive line but Clearly, and and again, we want to we want to clarify that you know Brian Kelly didn't say that that Fisher and Spindler are going to start or Fisher has won a starting job. Fisher still has to compete with with Baker at left tackle, and and Dylan Gibbons has had a good spring, and and that's still uh, you know a challenge for Spindler. But what I think has happened is okay, ten practices into this, we know that Fisher and Spindler are players 
and we can feel comfortable moving forward, giving them the reps that they need with the first and second team, because we think that they can be on the field, um, you know, this fall. Yeah, I guess maybe it could be a, a wash in terms of questions versus answers. If you're, if you're moving Spindler into like, Ooh, this, we could start this guy, but then you're moving like a Dirksen out, um, which maybe that's kind of what you're getting at there. It's like, you still have maybe seven candidates for five jobs, but it's a, it's a different seven today than it right, was in March. Right. And, yeah. I, and, I, yeah, and I think in the first week or two, they were a little bit more open-minded or a little, trying to be a little bit more open-minded about how many actual starting candidates there were. I think that mm-hmm. part, uh, I think that part has been dwindled down the last few weeks. So we've got more questions than we know what to deal with on offensive line in the That's second true. segment. Yeah. Okay. We've actually, I've tried to insert some different topics. I was about uh, to insert, but you're right. I just looked yeah. down. I'm not doing that anymore. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so we'll have more on, on that in the second segment, but it was interesting again to hear defensive players once again, saying that this is just a much easier defense to play. And I don't know that we ever felt like Clark Lee's defense was difficult to play because they played well. It wasn't like they were blowing assignments. It wasn't the Brian Van Gorder era. I mean, they knew what they needed to do. They were in place and they made plays, but from a technical standpoint, from a player's perspective, they feel like, okay, they know what they're doing pre-snap. We get lined up that MTA said, there's no checks. You just go. And when you're a football player, you know, an aggressive football player, especially, I think that's exactly what you want to hear. I remember, I think it was after the first group of press conferences when we talked to Bo Bauer and Paul Malala about this, and I tweeted something about it in a, a group of five um, coach in the Mac tweet, like tweeted back at me or sent me a DM like, well, that's exactly what you would expect because it's, one practice or 10 practices in opposed to three years. Like if you were taking an academic class, right? Like if you skipped ahead to your junior year, that would be a lot more complicated than what you were learning your freshman year. Um, Will that parallel hold in the season? I I still think this will be a much simpler defense, but it, it may be, I guess my point is more like it may be even more simple now than it will be in the fall, which it could still be more simple than what Clark Lee ran. Um, but I think right now it's, it's probably a basic of the basic for Marcus Freeman. I would kind of took it um, twofold. I thought like a, this defense could be more fun and free. doesn't mean that Clark's was complicated as much as it was very structured and that you are doing this on this play and you have only this other read to do. Do not deviate from that. Otherwise you're going to mess up our structure. Like that's how I kind of look at Clark Lee's was kind of like, I think maybe it's part of the reason Shane Simon played so much, honestly, was Shane Simon would do what Clark Lee said to do. And I think that helped him play more snaps over Leofile and some guys. But the second part of it is, and I want to jump ahead and quote our dear friend, Lou Samoji, every time there's a change, something is faster, something is more player friendly, and something is more aggressive because no one's ever said, this defense is so much more complicated and head scratching than the last one. It just doesn't, it just doesn't get announced that way. Well, so, I, I, whatever happens there. I promise you as many times as you heard Lou say that I heard it 10,000 <laughs> yeah. times more. And, <laughs> and, and I, and I, you know, I hear what you're saying. And Pete, I definitely understand what you're saying that, you know, come game time when you're, when you're scheming against an opponent, it's going to get a little bit more difficult by the yeah. same token. It's our understanding at Irish illustrated that, the bulk of what they want to do has been installed this spring 
and that the defense, the, mainly the upperclassmen, the guys that they know are going to play all the time, have adapted to it. So, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I think this is something that will constantly evolve. Maybe we'll see a little bit more on on, uh, on Blue Gold game day. Uh, we definitely will see a lot more on that day. And then as as we go into the fall, certainly when you're scheming for opponents, you uh, you have to adapt and, and adjust to that. But it's still players saying, you know, I mean, uh, Kurt Heinisch is talking about he gets more one-on-ones with centers, and when he goes one-on-one with centers, he usually wins. Yeah. Uh, he was, a, know, fun, he was is, a fun interview. Yeah, he yeah. really was because he just kind of – he stated some things really confidently in a very matter-of-fact way, and he should feel that way because he he is – I mean, I think I'm seeing a, a – I don't want to say dominant, but I'm seeing a, a, a more impressive nose tackle in these one-on-one situations. So, you know, that that's all going to become a little bit more clear to us as we move forward. Uh, and now, as with regard to Brian Kelly's comments about the wide receivers, he was talking about the veterans are the ones that have to lead this. And he's saying, the, and as he's saying those words, you know, you guys do the same thing. You know how readers and fans are going to react to that i'm looking at it i'm trying to looking at it from a a a coach's perspective and of course you want the upperclassmen to win the job they're three years stronger than everybody they're three years deeper into the playbook and you know they've adapted to the classroom work that they've just been around you want your veteran players to win the jobs i think the difference here is those guys are playing really quality football from what we can see on film. We'll man, I, I have a hard one. I have a hard time with this because like Braden Lindsay, Joe Wilkins, Lawrence keys had 19 catches for 177 yards and two touchdowns last year against Clemson, Clemson and Alabama. They had one catch for 20 yards. Um, for it, I feel like it should not take a receiver four years to grow into the system and get strong enough to play. Um, so it, I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of the receiver position. Um, I guess I was hoping that, you know, Jordan Johnson, Xavier Watts would be more like in the group with like Brian Kelly would single out five guys and say, Lindsey, Wilkins, Keys, Johnson, Watts, like the sophomores would be to the point where like, okay, they've, they've turned our heads. These are guys we can play, but it seems like they're going to go with the four senior receivers um, who have either been incredibly injury prone. No, they just, they all have had their injury issues. And then Avery Davis, which is, um, I don't know. I, I, I thought that there would be more of a spring move from Johnson and or Watts. We also might be taking him too much at his word on that particular Saturday, kind of like we everybody ran with the Zeke Carell, Carell, the, the Zeke yeah. Carell thing. I mean, maybe he wants – Joe Wilkins has shown up on all the videos. Maybe he wants to challenge Joe Wilkins to keep showing up. Maybe he wants to challenge Braden yeah. Lindsay. Maybe he wants to challenge Braden Lindsay to, hey, you had two good practices, and, and I'm, I'm making up something right here. And then you sat out and barely did anything in other practice. Maybe he doesn't want that. You know, I mean, remember when they benched Chase Claypool during spring ball? Like, he ran with the twos yeah, going into yeah. his junior year and then turned into a second-round pick, like, well, yeah, but that, later? Could, that could have been because he freaked out in the locker room before practice. I mean, there there are multiple reasons why Claypool – you know, look, I'm not saying – and I had to clarify this on Twitter because imagine I was – 
misinterpreted on Twitter. Um, I'm not saying that freshman receivers shouldn't play. I'm absolutely not saying that. I'm just saying the older guys, and, and you're right, they should develop sooner. And I mean, so maybe they need to do things on the practice field to develop them sooner. And that could mean a change in coaching personnel. I, I don't know, but and I'm, but I'm not saying freshmen can't play and shouldn't play, but when you have five senior or and or redshirt seniors that are practicing, I mean, look at Joe Wilkins. You can't say that that's not a, an improved version of Joe Wilkins. Braden Lindsay, you know, the fact that Braden Lindsay and Lawrence Keys are answering the bell every time they practice is a huge step forward. They're nice. making plays. Are, are they giving us plays? Like who's determining what plays we get to see? You know what I'm saying? I mean, oh, is yeah. it somebody that that's that, that's yeah. doing the video, or is it somebody actually within the football department saying, emphasize what Joe Wilkins just did there, emphasize what Lawrence Keys? I find that really hard to believe that it's staff I would do that. Think I think there is some of that. Okay. Maybe, maybe there's I, not. Maybe maybe not in practice ten, but like at least in the beginning, right? Yeah. Did you, um, uh, Tim? Didn't you get a tweet from someone that said? Who is doing these ND highlights? Because I believe it must be Joe Wilkins' parents or something like that. <laughs> yeah. He is all over it. I just feel like Wilkins would be – this would be a great story for Joe Wilkins. He comes in the season, is so much improved, and he is a great complimentary piece to the wide receivers when Kevin Austin and Brayden Lindsay and Jordan Johnson break out. It, is that, that's yeah, kind no, of the best it, case, right? Right. And at the end of the day, I don't care which no, don't receivers care. excel. I, I absolutely do not care. You, as you long do as want they a do senior to be a complimentary piece, at least, though, because he probably won't choke down in Florida State and stuff like that. I mean, he played 12 games last year. You know, right. he got but, out there. And it, and that's my whole point of, you know, I say three years stronger. It's three years more of, of being in, on the sideline for big games, whether you're playing or not. It, it's still It's still preparing to play a football game. And this game, probably more than any, requires a lot of experience because it is physical and it's the magnitude of everything that's happening is is uh, just incredibly pressure packed. More so than, well, you know, basketball is kind of comparable, more so than me covering Northern baseball. I mean, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, but like we just spent a bunch of time talking about Blake Fisher and Rocco Spindler. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah, and like no, that's a that's a position where like physical strength in a college weight room would right. be, would matter a lot more than receiver, right? And don't they and don't they look don't they look like they're capable of playing now? Just like Joe Wilkins. Yeah. I think Joe Wilkins looks. No, like- I mean, I think it's it's an uncomfortable conversation that we're probably not ready to have yet. But like Jordan Johnson probably is not beating out Joe Wilkins, if, and if that says more about Jordan Johnson than Joe Wilkins, then so be it. Like somebody has to be out there. Yeah. Hey, let's wrap up segment uh, one here with, you know, I kind of want to, I want to be serious about Lou now and, and what a incredible human being. Um, I hate to say, I hate to talk in past tense about what an incredible human being he is, uh, was, uh, I, I mean, the two words that come to mind most for me are humble. His level of humility is beyond anything that I've ever known. And the selflessness um, to people that he worked with, to people that he competed against, to every human being that I've ever known that knew him, it was just off the chart. Uh, I mean, he was great, kind, like probably the the kindest person um, that I have ever met in this industry. And 
perhaps outside this industry. Um, this, there's a lot of cynicism and sarcasm in journalism, probably a lot of cynicism more than sarcasm, but like Lou, Lou didn't have any of that. Um, you know, he was funny and self-deprecating. I guess he could be sarcastic about himself. Yeah, I was like, going to say, there was, there was some yeah, of that. But like such a kind-hearted person and just like a reminder that you can do this job and be a nice person, um, which I think is something that, you know, we struggle with at times and think about a lot. And I mean, Lou was just, he was a real, a real rarity in this industry. And it was, um, I mean, it was an honor to to work with him for a few years at Blue and Gold and, and know him. Um, I mean, I remember my son was born in May of 2013 in, in August. I remember him flagging me down as I was driving home from the Goog uh, from a press conference. And he's like, he had like a hand knit blanket for him. Um, <laughs> and it just like, who the hell does that? Um, like one person, loose emoji. Um, he was just like an incredibly, incredibly thoughtful person. So yeah, yes, it was, man, it was really heartbreaking to, um, to hear that on Sunday. Yeah, it was a terrible news. Um, everything you guys say, I can't even, don't really need to add to it, but his genuineness is the word I always use. He's so genuine in how he treated other people and other centered as Pete, that is part of your example. He, he would help anybody with anything. And I think we all have to take that into consideration when anybody mm -hmm. asks us for a favor, because I just wrote about this today. One of my last texts from Lou is I had a question I couldn't answer. It was about women's basketball from Matt Kishore. He had to do something for a photo. I was like, well, let me ask Lou. And Lou responds right away. And I responded quickly because of Lou to, to Kishore, you know, because Lou got back right away. I didn't know the answer. And Kishore's apt response was, yeah, I guess I probably should have asked him first, right? I was like, yes, you should have. Just go right ahead and ask, go to the source <laughs> next time on these things. But, I mean, Lou contacted me when my mom, my dad, and my older brother, who he knew, passed away. He, He's that type of person. He takes time for others. And uh, I should add, because it'll never be another good place to add this in the history of our podcast, but Lou hired me at Blue and Gold to be a writer for their website, uh, which I did for a little less than a year, just on the website blogging. Um, I covered football from the blogger's point of view where I wasn't at the games and basketball at the games. I started going for blue and gold. And then uh, when we all, all the part-timers got furloughed at blue and gold, uh, Lou recommended me for the job I have now starting at scout, which has been bought out mm -hmm. by Irish illustrated and 24 seven all that. But yeah, that was Lou recommending me for that job. Last thing here in this segment, and I'm not sure everybody under realizes this that you know, Lou's parents were direct descendants from Hungary. So, and I'm Hungarian and, so I think we had a lot in common and working together many times uh, late at night and everything, you know, that you had to go through back in a time when technologically publishing a, a newspaper was a lot more difficult than it is now. Um, you know, and Lou was, so Lou's first language was Hungarian. It wasn't English. And I don't think that necessarily surprises a whole lot of people. Uh, but Lou had a, it was a very uneasy fit in this world. He didn't, he didn't fit in this world quite like, uh, everybody else does. And I say that in a good way because he was, uh, he was a, uh, he was a saint amongst a bunch of sinners and I include myself in that group. So I hope he, I hope he continues to look down uh, upon us and upon me. Cause I think I'm going to need a little bit of help. <laughs> Segment two coming up.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Burning up the board. Segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider. We start with a question from Wash ND. Before the spring, what odds would you have given me on the starting O-line versus Florida State consisting of Blake Fisher and Josh Lugg at tackle, Jared Patterson at guard, Zeke Corral at center? And what odds would you give me now for that? Go with none and now some, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, it, was, it was a no. It was, I, was, I would not have no, allowed odds. No, for that. the no board. you could have. Yeah. Because I would have said Patterson's a tackle and Fisher's a guard. Right. And I still yes. think that yeah. Fisher will play guard professionally and maybe at some point in Notre Dame, but whatever. You're kicking he, that can down the road. <laughs> I am. I, well, I mean, the guy, he has played so with so much balance. And I don't know where I said this, Tim, did I say it on instant analysis? There's nothing I hate more watching an offensive yeah. lineman when he's on the ground than Blake Fisher yeah. isn't on the ground. He's on his feet because when you're on your feet – you can block much better than when you're on the ground. <laughs> That's a valid point. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I don't, I, I mean, I still don't think it ends up what that, what that alignment says. No, but they, I mean, there, it exists now. It exists now. Yeah. There's a, there, yeah, there's a, yeah. a pattern, a patent for it, uh, I guess, so to speak with, with Brian Kelly, but this is going to continue to evolve. And, uh, and, but I think it's become a good thing because, I mean, who in the world expects outside of fans that think something's good, something good's always going to happen, that two early entry freshman offensive linemen are going to perform well enough that you can, at the very least, they're in the top seven and you can legitimately consider them for a starting spot. Yeah, because it's not I, 2007, right? No. <laughs> There's some players. No. I mean, yeah, I mean, Nelson, it's like they have good players. Um, Quentin Nelson and ex- plays a freshman. to be good. Yeah. It, I mean, that's like Notre Dame expects to be good. This isn't this some massive rebuilding year. So it's, I, I'm just, I'm stunned by this whole thing. Um, I didn't think this was a really even a, a long shot possibility that Fisher and Spindler could start as true freshmen. ND band 94. Do you think the ND defense is way ahead of the offense or do you think it's closer and just that it takes time for an offense to get going and we still need Kevin Austin and Patterson in before the offense can really gel? Yeah. I mean, I think it's some combination of, of both. I think anytime, look, regardless of what, how good freshman offensive linemen look, we still don't, we don't know about chemistry. And, and if you watch practice 10 on Saturday, that was a defense. What we saw was definitely defensive dominated defensive, Defensive front seven dominated the clips that we saw on Saturday. So I think it's a, you know, I think it's a combination of both the fact that the fact that Marcus Freeman is a more, uh, takes a more aggressive approach um, also contributes to it. So you take a more aggressive approach with an offensive line that has no chemistry and you're going to get results like that. I mean, there's no question about who's starting on a defensive line and we, we couldn't, other than Zeke Carell, we can't tell you one starter on the offensive line. So, I mean, it makes sense that the defensive line would be way ahead of that version of an offensive line. I think they're going to be way ahead in August and early September, though, too. 
I think yeah, the defense, I mean, look, I think the defensive front seven is the strength of the team, and they're going to have a good year up there. Uh, I totally yeah. agree. Yeah, they're 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 going to be better than the offense. I, I take hey, Nick Saban said it: offense wins championships. Well, Notre Dame's going to have to win about twelve of its twelve games with defense. Imagine if, imagine if Awusu Koromoa had oh been gosh. in some kind of position to return for his last <laughs> yeah. year of eligibility. It would. It would have been that would have been ridiculous, but yeah, stop the I, practice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's nobody left. <laughs> but so guys, so guys that are moving. I mean, Kaiser looks like he's the front runner in an outside linebacker position. He's a smart player. He knows where to be. He makes plays instinctually slash because he understands the game. Uh, and then you know, I mean, I, I think it's pretty incredible that that Kurt Heinisch is going to end up playing. 60 some games for Notre Dame, which of yeah. course is pandemic uh, induced. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a really veteran, veteran defensive line. MTA is, is playing really, really well by on several accounts now. So yeah, they're going to be ahead and you're right, Tim They're They will be ahead in, in the fall. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to put two questions together. First one from Terry Benedict. When was the last time two freshman offensive linemen started on the same line for Notre Dame? And then, Irish, I was tailgating. Would it be good or bad? Would it be a good or bad indication for the 2021 season if there were two freshmen starting on the offensive line? I mean, it would be a bad indication, I think, um, of what happened prior, because it would mean probably Quinn Carroll never recovered or was misevaluated, uh, that all the progress <laughs> we heard about Gibbons was not true <laughs> uh you know I, one guy started look there's been eight right eight offensive line starters so no there's never been two together it's never been two the first one was rosenthal in 95 and there's been seven since unless i messed up my count uh brad williams did an emergency i remember that but he was a defensive lineman um ryan harris was great uh sam young was good trevor robinson became good but he so these guys right here started maybe not harris but they started because they don't have any offensive linemen like 03, 06, 08. You remember what Notre Dame's running games were like, at least in 06 yeah. and 08? Harris, I shouldn't say that about. He he had Julius Jones. They had a good running game. Um, and then Elmer and Hainsey, right? I didn't miss anyone, did I? Uh, no. I mean, you had Trevor Robinson. Yeah. 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 It's, um, I, I got a question on this in my mailbag. Um, obviously, I mentioned the Notre Dame guys because the question was more like, can you think of other programs who are have – like kind of New Year's Six playoff aspirations yeah. who started a tr- one true freshman, uh, Mitch Hyatt at Clemson right, in 2015. what I was coming Andrew, up with, yeah. Yeah, Andrew Thomas at Georgia in 2017. Both those teams played for the national title. Uh, Michael Jordan at Ohio State in 2016. They went 11-2, and two, made the playoff. Also North Alabama, Carolina, 1982. Yeah, he was Jordan. also good. Um, Alabama had Jonah Williams in 2016. Evan Neal in 2019. Uh, and if you want to go all the way back to Andre Smith, um, and then there are a couple yeah. of I- Iowa examples, Tristan Wirfs, Brian Balaga, Penny Sewell at uh, Oregon. So I guess like the takeaway is there's like one, it can be done. And two, if you do it, you're definitely playing in the NFL, which is a good thing for your college program as you develop. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a bad thing if one or both. I no, mean, but I, get I, I meant it. both. You... I just meant both, not one. I think it's fine. One, one, one will start. I predict one will start. I think it's if both start, that's not great. Uh, nope. Yeah. Well, I mean, does it? So if 
Tosh Baker starts, a redshirt freshman. I think that's uh, different. I, mean, I, I do think it's different. Not a know? whole lot, though. Yeah, not he's had Bayless for I mean, an extra year is all I thought was. It's bad for the reasons O'Malley pointed out. It's bad because it means Quinn Carroll didn't recover yes, or, yes. They, or they had some misses. Yeah. Like, but I do that's, think – That's why it's bad. No, I agree with that. But I do think that the coaching staff, you know, and Brian Kelly said, you know, they kind of play this little game. Okay, if – Patterson's attack all this if Patterson's at guard this but I think that this line of thinking that I'm about to say has to come into play should we play Spindler at left guard or should we play Gibbons knowing that Gibbons is strong you know stronger probably and but really is there that much of a difference right now because if there isn't then you might as well go ahead and play the younger guy because his ceiling is his ceiling's way higher and he'll get experience in the process. I, I think bet. it's just the nature of the position. Cause like no, yeah. nobody, we would never have a conversation. Is it a bad thing that Michael Mayer started over Brock, Wright? Like, no, nobody ever had that conversation. I just think it's unique to the offensive line. Cause there's, you cannot skip the strength right. building phase. And I, right? and I would still, I mean, as of right now, as I continue to play the game that I'm playing about configurations along mm-hmm. the offensive line, I still think Gibbons is a starter over Spindler. But that I do, could, that could I do too, and I want to add a reason why for that. So you start Blake Fisher at tackle, and you start Zeke Carell at center in his third career start, and you have Dylan Gibbons or a true a fifth year senior Dylan Gibbons with four years of Bayless and five years of offensive line work in between right. them, or you have Rocco Spindler. I have a feeling you're going to go with the guy as long as it's close to start out the guy that can help other guys learn when they're down in Tallahassee and the stuff hits the fan. And all of a sudden, Tallahassee's not Tallahassee's players. They kind of are. All of a sudden, the Seminoles seem as fast as they were coming out of high school for once to the front seven. And it gets a little hairy down there. I think you just want yeah. someone to know what's going on pre-snap. Like that. And none of none of this conversation changes my mind about how I think the Notre Dame offensive line will play this fall. Does it Does it for you, Tim? No, just maybe the first game. <laughs> the first game. Yeah, I, no, I, I understand that. what yeah. you're saying about yeah. going to Florida State. But this right. is still... I mean, even if, Gibbons, even if Gibbons is on the field, the guy that's been around for five years, there is the chemistry of this offensive line still going to take time to, to develop. Scott, 24-105. What's the chance of Riley Mills overtaking Jason Adamiola as starter by season's end? I mm. I don't expect that. I mean, I don't expect that. J- Jason Adamiola is, a, you know, is a, he's a guy that brings a little bit more quickness that sometimes you've seen in the videos where I've seen him actually – Coming off the edge, he may have he may have twisted with a, uh, you know, with a defensive end. Um, I don't. I think Jason Abmiola remains the starter, but Riley Mills is. I mean, that's a tag team. There's we yeah. know that's going to be a tag team. Um, I think that's man. I think that's going to be a really really good position for Notre Dame this fall. I mean, Jason Abmiola, I think would he would be high on my list of most impressive players from the spring practice videos, like yeah. top five, easy. Um, and like these, as these videos get more and more, you're sort of seeing some sub packages here and there, and you're seeing that the nickel dime line of Bosky and Batello and MTA and Ademiolola in the middle. Like I absolutely love that setup. So it's, I mean, Riley, Riley Mills has plenty of time to get 25, 30 snaps a game. Right. Um, I think that would be a great role and he's going to be a badass number two. Yeah. I think the question is 
Jason Adamiola 2021 or Riley Mills 2022, not 2021 apiece. Like Mills needs more time to be Jason Adamiola is a pick for a breakout year for me. I yes. agree. I have wanted Jason Adamiola to be in that nickel and dime package for three years when he wasn't in it. And now I get my, <laughs> my voice is being heard. Finally, guys, there is no, uh, it's because everybody's playing fast and loose. Like Marcus Freeman and I prefer it that way. So there's, yeah, that's a, that, yeah, that's a hell of a combo of defense. Yes, and tackle, it is. isn't it? Yeah. JJ Allwine more combined starts by the end of the 2021 season, Gibson and Dirksen or Fisher and Spindler. You gotta go Fisher and Spindler, right? Yeah, because I don't think Dirksen will start a game. Um, yeah, but I mean, Gibbons could be a thirteen-game starter. Yeah, but is Spindler your first guard off the bench type thing? You know what I mean? Is that possible over Quinn Carroll? Yeah, it's, it's one a of good those questions. Yeah, it's a, a good, good question. question. I'm I'm not sure. Uh, I don't think Dirksen is ultimately going to figure in, even though I was, you know, bent on. I really, you know, how many times I've said I really like the way he played coming out of high school, but it just it just hasn't. It hasn't come together for him, so uh, I don't know, man. I still think I still th- I think Gibbons is uh, is the guy that I would continue to pencil in there. But it's a good question from JJ Allwine. Denver yeah. Maximus. From everything we see in here, it sounds like Drew Pine is having a stellar spring. Odds still favor Jack Cohn starting, but when was the last time you felt confident in the top two quarterbacks on the roster? I know we still have yet to see Pine in real playing situations. But am I basing it? But I'm basing it on what we've seen and heard. Well, the last time I felt confident was 2018 when they had Wimbush and Book, and those guys were yeah. better than Pine and Cone. So I, I was pretty confident then, and I was confident in barely seeing Malik Zaire and Everett Golson too. I am not confident in the starting quarterback yet at Notre Dame. I just think their backup will be good too. I'm more confident in the backup than I was in January. Does that make sense? I think. The yeah, but not, but not, yeah. not compared to the Wimbush book. No, I, mean, no, no, I no, totally, no. I totally agree with you there. I, I mean, I would throw Kaiser's Zaire in there. You know, I, I realize that season went totally sideways, but like you felt really good about both those guys. Oh yeah, yeah. you're right. I'm sorry. At the 16, time. Totally right. Yeah. But I think Pine has gone from like, uh, okay, what do we got to, he, I, I always thought a good spring for him would be the same spring that Ian Book had in 2017, where he had just redshirted, had a really good spring game, and you're like, huh, all right. I, I mean, I like this guy more than I thought I would. Um, and I think Pine's having one of those springs where are just like, all right, maybe they have something here that, you know, let's dig a little bit deeper on. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, it's really difficult in spring practice with red jerseys on to say that you feel comfortable about Drew Pine. Highlights they show us. Li- yeah, I mean, against, <laughs> you know, light, life bullets uh, in the fall because he can't be hit now. So, yeah, he's going to he's going to be able to stand back there and they're going to show us clips of him throwing completed passes. Uh, you know, I but but you know, I think we we love his makeup. We love his savvy. We, you yeah, know, he's. He's going to be a fun interview if and when we get those opportunities moving forward. And you feel good about what he's done this spring, but I, I don't know that I would go much further beyond that right now. You guys remember coming out of spring 2017, as Pete mentioned, with Book and saying, huh, which of that guy becomes the winningest quarterback in the history of Notre Dame football yeah. right there? That <laughs> seems like he's going to be well. No, <laughs> but it was definitely like, <laughs> yeah, yeah he could. there could be something here. Yes, for sure. Nick, 2014, how much positional flexibility is there within the wide receiver group? For example, if Lindsey were hurt, could Keys or Davis slide over to X? Well, Keys has played X, right? Yeah. And 
I mean, this is a situation where you would like to think that Jordan Johnson and Xavier Watts are, you know, in a position and capable of getting on the field and being productive. Um, there's certainly flexibility with Wilkins because he's played the X and W. Lindsay is pretty much an X. Keys has played X, but I don't think that's a good position for him. Uh, David, David, certainly Avery Davis would be able to slide to the X, don't you think? Yeah. Yes. I, I wondered if that was going to be something they, they tried if they decide, all right, like Takis has an awesome camp uh, and two tight ends is more than just a change up. It's like, oh, we're similarly productive in two tight ends this year as last year. Slot receiver is suddenly your best receiver, which is not. I don't know the last time slot receiver with the best receiver. Has it ever been the case under Brian Kelly? No. And I mean, really, not since Cincinnati. Should it be? <laughs> it's right. Yeah. But it is, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, Avery Davis clearly is the, the, the most trusted receiver right now. So can yeah. you move him to the X to keep him on the field more? So I want to just point out that Pete Sampson stole a Monday music for today. And that oh, the, predicted start, that. the predicted starting lineup is against Florida State is the two tight ends with Avery Davis sliding onto X for me. Because I don't think he's going to trust anybody more than that. Well, and Tech is. You, you Tech are so is, smart. I know. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Tackus has been prominent in the videos that we've seen. I, yeah. I want. I want to ask Brian Kelly. You know, it's tough these Zoom interviews, man. I mean, you want to ask Pete. You come from more of a big picture perspective, and and as a daily website like we are, you need you need comments on specific players. So I find yeah. myself gravitating toward those, and I want to ask about Tackus, but. You know, then you can't you can't get back in line with your yeah. Zoom question. Uh, but Takis has been prominent, and I and I I'm going to I'm going well, to ask because sh- it looks like he's doing a pretty good job. You should because he might talked about how much they like the 12 package, and then you have your answer yeah. right there. Right, right, exactly. Uh, question from TJ from PA seventy. The Nordam pass rush has evolved to be a strength of the Nordam defense over the last few seasons compare the potential for this year's group of ends and interior linemen to get pressure on the quarterback versus the last couple of years. Could this group eclipse last year's sack and pressure totals? I think the D line, if you separated the <laughs> D line out from like a Wusu Koromoa, then yes, I, I think that it could. Um, but I do not think the pass rush will be close to what it was in 2018 or yeah, 2019 also was quite good. Yeah, nowhere near 2018, I would say. They had three of the ten best pass rushers in the country before guys started to get hurt, actually. That that was, a, that was a showcase of pass rushing that people have forgotten, I think. <laughs> I don't know why people think Foskey's going to be better than Julian Aquara bending the corner because he was unreal. Um, yeah, I mean, last year's defensive line did a good job. They played what? They ended up with 12 games, 31 sacks. If they played 13 games, they probably could have gotten to that. You know, it, look, they also had to play Alabama is the 12th game, right? If that 12th game was against someone else, they probably break the Brian Kelly sack record of 34. If you play not the best offensive line in the country for your last game and add another game. Um, I do like, I think it'll be just as good as last year's. They have too many good players not to, right? I think it'd be better than last year's. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't, I mean, I think if you like look at defensive ends individually, I, I don't think that they match up, at least not on paper right now, but that's not what Marcus Freeman's, I mean, Mark, it's going to be about Marcus Freeman scheming yeah. pass rush, but moving guys around, bringing guys from the second and third level at a pace that Clark Lee just didn't, didn't do. And I, I'm not, I both work. 
I mean, I, you know, it's funny. I mean, we, t- we talk about Clark Lee's defense almost now, like, like it wasn't very good. I mean, it was a very, his approach was effective. It was very good. So, um, you know, I mean, I think that they can have more pass rush if we're, if we're comparing defensive ends, I don't think it's as good, but that's not what it's all about. It's 11 on 11. And I think they have a chance with, with a more aggressive scheme. I'm hearing you, Lou. I hear you. Um, <laughs> he felt something knocking, huh? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, <laughs> "What are you listening to? This is rhetoric." Um, so, just to put it in perspective, and Pro Football Focus goes way over the top on their pressures. They like add up every time somebody looks at a quarterback, but they do it consistently. Last year, the two leaders—they're both gone—were defensive ends, which makes sense. But thirty-seven and thirty-three total pressures. Uh, MTA was next from the middle with nineteen. If you go back a year, Khalid Kareem, 44, and Aquara in eight games, 32. Jameer Jones, 30 in about whatever amounts, wow. probably like six games. In 2018, the fourth place guy was Dalen Hayes with 28. The third place was Khalid Kareem with 37. I'm sorry. The fourth was Hayes. Third was Kareem with 37. Second was Tillery with 49. And Julian Aquara was credited with 61 quarterback pressures in 2018 so let's not say it's the best pass rush in a long time but it'd be great if it's as good as last year's 61 61 (laughs) holy cow but uh, you know but is he remembered for that or is he remembered for starting slowly then he is remembered for starting slowly but i don't i choose not to do that yeah (laughs) you got it you're Jim up, underscore Tim. Booney CRS. Does Zeke Carell have a snapping the ball too low problem? And it was he, dramatically correct how he wrote it. I'm very impressed by Jim underscore Booney. Yeah, he, uh, <laughs> Carell appeared to have a problem on Saturday. Now, I think in previous instances, it's generally been Carmody, which makes sense because he's a tackle that was snapping the football. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I missed some bad snaps from Carell earlier in the spring, uh, but. I mean, did he have any problems against North Carolina and Alabama snapping a football? Yeah, well, Carolina, he'd had two, remember? Book turned one to a touchdown. Yeah. Oh, it bounced right. off his Yeah, it bounced okay. off his leg. And there was another right. one well, I think Book saved a, also. Yeah, he's got a bit of a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, hey, look, keep, keep working on that. I've tried to coach 11 first graders to snap the football. It's not that easy. So, yeah. Just All 11. Maybe, maybe, maybe calm down here, Jim underscore Booney. It's hard work. I think Zeke Carell has plenty of opportunities between now and Florida State to to fine tune that. But yeah, you're I, you're right. I um, North Carolina, there was a couple times mm-hmm. and it, it it has popped up, but uh, uh, that I think that's one of the least of Notre Dame's. Yeah, I don't have it high on my list. It was a whole. It was such a long practice video of low snaps is probably all we remember right now. And then the next one won't have that. I would guess. Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised they had that many in there. Frankly, <laughs> there must have been a hundred because they put it. Like I thought these were supposed to be highlights. <laughs> yeah, maybe they're highlighting the quarterback's hands. There was a, it was a nice catch. Right, we've got we've got a uh, NFL draft coming up next weekend, and I am trying to get out of the story this week on the NFL draft. And so we have a question from Andy Yinzer: Over under five and a half number of Northern players drafted in the first 144 picks, which is the first four rounds, over, under, five and a half? Uh, under. Under. Yeah, I will bet anybody that wants to take the over, frankly. Uh, I've got under. I mean, would you get action on four and a half? 
Four and a half makes yeah. it, yeah, because I think that yeah, I think Ogan Deji, I think Ogan Deji's kind of a swing guy, maybe not. Your guy from the athletic Pete had him uh, lower than that. I do not believe, and this is not personal. I think it's not personal. I just don't think that I don't think Dalen Hayes is a four, fourth round draft pick. I just don't, especially you, with his medicals, with the, the, medicals, the, the shoulder right. issues that he has dating back to high school. I just don't see anybody taking a chance on him that soon. I don't either. I, but I don't, I mean, have you seen a lot of him in the fourth round? Um, I think your uh, guy, I think your guy had him fourth or fifth. Yeah. I just, don't um, hmm. Dalen Hayes is that up. type of player, but um I've been wrong before and will be wrong again, but I, I, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be wrong on that. He had Ogundeje at 142, and then he had yeah. Hayes in round five. Which, he, but I, but I agree with your sentiment. Like that seems high to me. For some reason, five sounds more plausible, so much more plausible than four. Four just seems like you're. I mean, they're drafting you just to really be a contributor right away. These yeah, days. I mean, I and I'm hoping for the best for him, but I just yeah. don't think that there is enough. I mean, take in, take in consideration how many snaps he had at Notre Dame, the percentage of quality snaps. I just don't think that he's had enough. I bet yeah. if I were to guess around for Hayes, I would I would probably guess late fifth round. Actually, I don't think I would drop it to sixth, but I would I wouldn't guess four for Ogan Deji. I would guess five for Ogan Deji, and you could be getting a bargain in, in either one of them. I'm not saying that's where they belong, but that's why way under five point five. I would say four. In the first, yeah, and of course, Wusu Koromoa, Liam Eikenberg, Tommy Tremble, Aaron nice. Banks are all supposed to. Those are those are your four yep. gimmies, right? You're right, right. Um, and then Ogundeji, I think, is it's kind of mixed on him. You know, I don't know that he's had. I don't know that he had enough productivity to warrant. Good play. I mean, he's a he's a promising player when you. He's a good of all player. The things and he his, could grow into. So. Yeah, and his measurables are really, really good, and that that can be enough to tip the scales for for one team out there. ND thirteen. What do you feel is the reason that Kyron Williams can break through as a redshirt freshman? Chris Tyree can be a serious contributor as a true freshman at running back, but the wide receivers don't take a big leap until their third or fourth season. Are the differences in learning and developing that significant, or is it a testament to those running backs? You know, I, I mean, when I first, when I read the first part of the question, I wrote down different positions, different people, different responsibilities, different depth chart. I, that I, I don't, I mean, there's no correlation between what we're talking about there, but he, you know, he then says is learning and developing at the positions. And maybe I'm so conditioned to think about receivers taking time to develop in Notre Dame, but it, it I mean, the positions are, the learning curve is completely different. A running back has to read a hole a receiver has to read moving parts in a coverage that they don't even understand yet i i i wouldn't even go that far i think that you answer the question with your first it's everything there's too many differences i mean it wasn't that long ago when these questions would have been like why isn't torian Folson greg bryant playing why is cam mcdaniel playing is there something about running back that's too complicated like and then we'd be talking about blitz pickup and how important it is um there's just Different positions, different skill sets, different fits in the offense. There's just there's too many differences to say to compare, I think. Yeah. And honestly, super talented running backs play at Notre Dame too. Greg Bryant was not wasn't not playing because he wasn't talented enough to play. He was he was not ready to be on it was he was not ready to be on the field for Notre Dame for Brian mm-hmm. Kelly. 
because of off the field situations. I think it was until Willingham, which is all these stats get worse because he had bad program. Um, there was only one year where they didn't have a freshman contributor running back went from like, so that started in 72 to freshman eligibility rate, 72 to 2002. There was only one year where they didn't have a freshman and that's the year they had Bettis and Brooks and nobody was going to get the ball anyway. Cause they had, they didn't have any freshmen. They had Bettis, Brooks, Beckton. Well, why were you giving the ball to somebody else? It's mm-hmm. so like 30 years of a running back getting carries as a freshman. And then you don't get until the Willingham era when you just didn't have any freshmen that were good at running backs. So you can explain away some of these years when you have bad freshmen as your running backs. Um, Chris Tyree is not a bad freshman running back. Right. He's so not. He Ky- I mean, Kyron Williams has shown what a special back he is. I, I just. And good Folston player. did play. Like Greg Bryant didn't. Folston was there. Yeah. Cole Folston did play. He was Look, good really players. Good. good players play yeah. unless there are some other factors involved, which can be academics. It could be playbook. It could be injuries. It, it could be attitude. Good players play. I, it I could be strength that, too, right? I mean, they are a twelve strength. package running exactly, team. Still. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I, you know, I realize that we're in a we're in a, a a pocket here where the young receivers aren't emerging. But I mean, Kevin Austin was playing as a freshman, and then he Jefferson then he got into tr- then he then he got into trouble and and uh, and didn't make a trip or two. So anyway, we're gonna uh, we're gonna going to finish off with uh, we talked about. <laughs> We talked about all the great things about Lou Samoji. Um, and we have a question from Playoff Pundit. Can you share with us a little known anecdote or your favorite memory of Lou? And Lou would not want this to be a maudlin uh, memory of him. <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit here real quickly about the quirkier side of one Mr. Lou Samoji. You guys worked with him a lot longer, so I'll, I'll do mine quickly. There's, there's two things. The first thing Lou Samoji ever said to me when I came into interview, after I talked to Dan Silver, remember Dan Silver and John yep. Hainsworth, they said, all right, well, now you got to go talk to Lou. I was like, all right, I'm looking forward to it. I went to go talk to Lou, and within 30 seconds, he mentioned the name Creighton Miller to me. And I just remember thinking to myself, this has nothing to do with this interview. But he's why would he mention Creighton Miller? Miller? I don't even remember why, but I remember <laughs> thinking, he just brought up Creighton Miller. <laughs> so that was in our first ever uh, interaction. And the other one, we were sitting around the Goog. This was, I think, I think it was during the Weiss days because Weiss was always kind of late. The practices ran late. It was always the later at night, too. You know how Kelly gets done at 6. Yeah. Weiss would get done at like 7.15. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, we're all sitting. <laughs> that sounds like I'm complaining, 7.15. But when you've been there since 6, it's a long <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and we were, somebody was talking about someone's brother was going to be better than him. And it was one of those ridiculous ones where like, if Michael Jordan has a brother, you say, Oh, he's going to be better than his brother. You know, you hear those things all the time. Like this guy's going to be better than his brother. And Lou used a reference of Joey Browner coming in. going to be better than Ross Browner, who if people know Lou is probably his favorite player of all time was Ross Browner. And Lou, the ultimate gentleman goes, it's like when people tried to tell me Joey Browner's going to be better than Ross Browner. My ass, he's going to be better than Ross Browner. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the one thing to get Lou to cuss because if you disparage Ross Browner's greatness. <laughs> oh, man, there are a lot. I, I am really going to miss his three-minute questions during press conferences where Brian Kelly, you can see me like, yeah, yeah, Lou, I know what I know what you're going to ask. Just just say it. Just say it. Um, sometimes that would involve asking about a third-team linebacker during USC week, uh, which was a fun text exchange to have with Michael Birch uh, <laughs> when he was still on the job. Um, but... I think that this story is actually about Lou's dad, but I think it sums up Lou 
I remember back when I was at Blue and Golden, like, you know, it was like 2004 or something, you know, we all had cell phones at that point. And Lou was telling about how he was at, he was at Meyer with his dad and they're walking down an aisle and they had the mini cassette recorders that we all used before we had iPhones to record everything. And, uh, Lou was recounting this and his, and his dad was like, what is that Lou? And he's like, well, it's, you know, these mini cassette recorders, we use them for interviews. And his dad was like, man, what will they think of next? And I feel like that sort of summed up who Lou was. You're just like, what will they think of next? And I'm like, Lou, that was like three inventions ago that he thought of that. Um, so like, yeah, the technology and Tim, you did this way more than me, but like there was a season where I was the guy that had to go down to the fax machine at the hotel lobby to read the pages of blue and gold and correct them and then try to fax them back. And man, that was, that was some interesting tech frustration stuff, but man, that, uh, Lou was, it was just one of a kind that way. I will miss being in the press box when a either team home or away goes for a two point conversion too early in the game. (laughs) And Lou could be, Lou could be 20 seats down from me. And we would both at the same time, just lean back and make eye contact with each other. And that and punters, because I always through the years had difficulty with punters and their shanks. Uh, but a couple stories about Lou. People don't know this. When when we were, when it was just him and me before you, uh, Pete, um, you know, technologically, it was a lot harder to put this stuff together. So we would, uh, you know, we'd work all night. I mean, I can remember sleeping in the office for two hours and waking up in the morning and finishing the job. Lou would go to the local Hungarian Catholic Church, Our Lady, and play the organ for 7 a.m. Mass. Regardless how long, we, regardless if he stayed up all night, Lou, an accomplished uh, organist, would go play for the, the Hungarian people at Sunday Mass. And here's the other one. When Lou said he wasn't worthy, he truly meant it. And the best example of that is that we had just finished a big project. I think it was what, what we used to call the yearbook. And again, technologically, it was just harder to do back then. So as a reward to himself, he went out and bought himself a new car. But then he felt so guilty about doing that. The car sat in his garage for like six weeks before he finally drove it. <laughs> a Honda Accord, I remember that. <laughs> that is, that is uh, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's Lou, that's Lou Samoji, who has... No more deadlines. No more late nights. And make sure anyone that listens to this, we have to do the loose emoji and LSR from the South Bend Tribune. When the blue gold game hits that point of the fourth quarter and the third stringer tackles the walk-on, you take your pen and drop it because you're done taking notes. This doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Look forward to doing that on May 1 with yes. you guys. He was one of a kind. We'll take it from here, Lou. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, 
please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.